Coming up on Studios America, Liz Wheeler is here to talk about the left's latest attack on our kids. Joe Biden prepares for a trip to Israel, lucky Israelis, and the battle for the House speakership continues. It's all going to start here in just a minute. But first, let me tell you about Raycon. Raycon is celebrating their anniversary with a sale you don't want to miss. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. Optimized gel tips they've got with a range of in, uh, sizes for the perfect in-ear fit. These earbuds are awesome. I have uh, my, several pairs of my own. Uh, they give you eight hours of playtime, 32 hours of battery life. And in the past year, they've expanded their entire business. They, you know, they've got the Raycon Home now, they've got the Raycon PowerTech, and look, they're doing this thing where they're thanking people for all of the support over the past six years. Raycon, they're offering you 20% off everything on the site. Some products even up to 40%. I just love these things. They don't fall out of your ear. They've got great noise isolation. They've got an awareness mode as well. The sound is fantastic. Celebrate Raycon turning six with their biggest sale of the year going on right now. Hurry to buyraycon.com slash stew. If you use the code birthday, you'll get 20 to 40% off site-wide. The code is birthday at B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com. Buyraycon.com slash stew. Order, uh, order now and get 20 to 40% off with that code birthday. It's buyraycon.com slash stew. Stew does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. The promo code is Stu. Join Blaze TV. We appreciate it. Um, we're going to start tonight. It was honestly a tough choice because there's two huge stories. Uh, the larger story for, you know, I don't know, our eternal souls uh, might very well be Israel. But we're going to start by doing Jordan for speaker because we have big developments in that story, of course, today. Jim Jordan rejected as speaker in the initial House vote. Uh, Jordan opponents mostly voted for uh, Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise. We'll get through this uh, whole list here in just a second. But going through this day, this vote wasn't necessarily about getting Jim Jordan to actually become speaker of this first vote. It was about getting everybody on record as to where they stand. This is a difficult behind the scenes process when you're trying to get over 217 votes, which is the number needed today. There's a lot of complicated math behind that. But generally speaking, it's about 217, could be 216 at times, but basically 217. Um, and it's one of those things where you're trying to get people behind the scenes to commit to you and they commit to you in a very much non-binding way, right? Someone else is going to have their ear five minutes later and who knows if they switch back to the other side. You may have noticed occasionally people in Washington don't actually have all that much principle and are kind of just going off the seat of their pants for whoever gives them the better deal. That is the way a lot of this works. You might not like that. And here's one way to solve that. I'm going to give you the, the big grand plan up here right at the top of the monologue. What's the way to solve this? Get more people in the House that are Republicans. You have 221 Republicans with a four-seat uh, you know, gap to be able to lose only four people. You're going to have crap like this happening all the time. Speakers get removed. You can't get speakers through. People make deals all the time. They're bribing each other. That's what happens when you have a majority this small. And, you know, I, I will be honest with you. I've been listening to some of the mainstream media coverage, and some of it's just agonizing. I know we talk about the mainstream media being agonizing all the time. But one of the things that's, I think, a little bit unfair to both McCarthy and Jordan and Scalise is this idea that like, oh, well, they just, uh, you know, they'll just, they gave up all this power. They, uh, McCarthy gave all this power to people like Matt Gates. He deserves everything he gets. Well, guess what? He wasn't getting the job without doing that. Uh, that's the bottom line here. In this type of situation, when your majority is the smallest majority in the history of the House, 
you're going to wind up making a lot of deals you don't like. You're going to give up a lot of things you don't like. You have to win over your ideological opponents. Think of how much time we spend on the conservative side of things talking about moderate Republicans and how irritating they are on key votes and how difficult it is to, to think of them even as part of the same movement. We call them rhinos, the Republicans in name only. They seem to be fighting with the Democrats half the time. And that's true. Honestly, it feels that way almost all the time. But at the end of the day, if you want to become Speaker of the House, you have to win not only Matt Gates and the people on, the, on that side of things, but you have to go to the other side, too, and find people in the middle and win them over. And you also have to find the people who have really close personal connections to the guy you just booted out, uh, Kevin McCarthy. And you have to find you have to win over the people who are uh, really close allies of Steve Scalise. How do you do that? It's going to be really hard to do that. You're going to probably have to bribe them with all sorts of crap. Honestly, that's probably the way this goes down, if it goes down at all. We've, we'll talk about maybe some of the outlier negative um, situations later on. But let's think about this Jordan vote in, in, in and of itself first. Jim Jordan came in. He was a Tea Party guy, right? He's been a Freedom Caucus guy. He's the type of person who has always had a pretty hard line. He's always been pretty aggressive. He's fought for things like shutting down the government when the government is doing really bad things. Almost all of those things I support him on, um, at least most of them. Probably the same thing for you, I would guess, if you're a conservative. You probably like Jim Jordan. He does a lot of things pretty well. However, that rubs moderates the wrong way. And if you're too conservative, then the moderates don't like you. If you're too moderate, the conservatives don't like you. It gets really, really hard. And of course, there's also personal issues here as well. The fact that Jim Jordan is this close is honestly a miracle. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I didn't think he'd get this close. I did not even think he'd get to the point where 20 people did not vote for him, which is what the case was today. I honestly thought if he got a vote, it would probably be more, more, probably be more like 40 or 50 people who wouldn't vote for him because they hold grudges from the past. They have loyalties going on now. They have a person in mind that they want. All these various things going on at the same time, it is really hard to get over over 217, which is why you need to, if you're going to toss your speaker, which is valid, um, if you're going to do that, you better have somebody you know can get over 217 votes. You can't enter this process without that idea. That is, of course, what has occurred here, and that's why this is very, very difficult. Let me give you the names of the people who voted against uh, Jordan. Many of you say, you know what? One thing I know is every day for the rest of my life, I will love Bacon. I love bacon. Bacon's fantastic. It's the best of all the meats. And uh, I will eat bacon every day and love bacon every day. But today might not be that day because Don Bacon from Nebraska voted against uh, Jim Jordan. We also have Lori Chavez de Remer uh, from Oregon. Anthony Desposito. Uh, she, he's from uh, New York. It's actually Desposito, but whatever. It's much more fun to say Desposito. Um, Mario Diaz Ballart from Florida. Jake Elzey from Texas. Andrew Garabino from New York. Uh, Carlos Jimenez from Florida. Tony Gonzalez from Texas. Kay Granger from Texas. Lots of Texas here. Mike Kelly from Pennsylvania. Jennifer Kiggins from Virginia. Nick Lalada from New York. Michael Lawler from New York. John Rutherford from Florida. Michael Simpson of Idaho. Steve Womack of Arkansas. Ken Buck from Colorado. John James from Michigan. Uh, Doug Lamalfa from California. And Victoria Sparks from Indiana. Let me go back to a couple of these names. 
You know, it's funny. I talk about this stuff every single day. And every time I go through a long list of people in Congress, I realize about 70 percent of them never make any impact. Like you never hear word one from them. You don't know their names. You don't know what they've done with themselves. Even in the business, there's a lot of these names. And I'm like, I think I've heard of that guy. I'm not exactly sure. Um, let me give you a couple, though, that I can give some background that I think is interesting. Victoria Sparts is from Indiana. She's been on, on uh, the radio show several times. She came from a communist uh, regime. She's been fighting hard against uh, that, uh, that our fall into that area. She's pretty darn good on most issues. And you probably really like her. You probably have liked her before if you've ever heard of her. Um, she voted no here and wound up voting for Thomas Massey, another good congressman, who, by the way, voted for Jim Jordan today. Um, but what's interesting about all of that is she did make public statements saying, I'm not going to be the, the only the deciding vote against Jordan. Uh, she didn't like the process behind the scenes, which is, you know, honestly, probably pretty valid. Uh, but she's not going to stop Jordan from becoming speaker. So that's again, while you could say that that's a no vote on Jordan and it was in reality, if Jordan's going to get over the hump, she's not going to be the difference maker there. Uh, Ken Buck is a little bit of a different story. Again, Ken Buck's record voting wise is pretty darn good. He was a Tea Party guy as well. He ran for Senate and lost a uh, just a killer uh, um, one of those, you know, there's a few in that, in that Tea Party era of Senate elections that went the wrong way and just hurt. I mean, the Harry Reid victory by like 12 votes, that one really hurt. Uh, Ken Buck was another one that was, you know, really painful uh, through those years. He almost won that race, didn't wind up doing it. He's been in Congress, has been a, generally a pretty good congressman. Now, he's one of these guys that is, says, look, I want to hear from Jim Jordan that uh, the election wasn't stolen and that uh, Joe Biden won it. Even though I didn't want that to happen, I want a speaker who's going to say those words to me, at least privately. Apparently, they tried to do that. The, you know, This is all sort of background reporting, but apparently Jordan wouldn't go as far as he wanted him to, and so he was a no as well. Will he come around? I mean, I don't know. If you have a chance for a conservative uh, speaker of the House, will he be the guy who blocks it? I kind of doubt it. But that's where he stands uh, right now. Um, so the, uh, what you have through here, and let me give you this other breakdown. Here, who did people vote for? Um, there was uh, six votes for Kevin McCarthy, obviously the former speaker. He's got a bunch of really close allies. Only six of them voted this way now. But I want to come back to those allies and, and what that how that dynamic plays out, because this is a scary dynamic that could cycle out of control pretty easily. Three came in uh, of the Republican votes went for Lee Zeldin. Zeldin, if you remember, he was a guy who lost a close election for governor in New York, did perform very well there. He's pretty well liked among Republicans, especially in New York. And uh, he was kind of nominated, even though he's saying you should vote for Jordan. He was put up there by several uh, Republicans from New York. And a lot of times we look at this and we say, well, wait a minute. Uh, Jim Jordan's a good Republican. He's a good conservative. Get this guy through. And we're not thinking about each one of these guys or ladies has a different round of considerations as to what they're trying to do here. Some of these people, particularly in New York, are in districts that Joe Biden won by 15 points. So a vote for Jim Jordan is not going to help them locally. You can threaten them and say, hey, we're going to primary you, and that might work, but it probably means giving up the seat. If you have someone who's going to win in a Biden plus 15 district, that person is probably pretty moderate. It's probably going to sound a lot more like a Democrat half the time uh, than he is a Republican and is not really going to need to fold to a threat about being primaried. Um, now, it's possible he could lose a primary, but 
I mean, likely at the end of the day, he's more concerned about guarding his purple credentials than appealing to the far uh, red parts of the conservative party. It makes this dynamic really difficult, even though I think Jordan would be a much better speaker than McCarthy or Scalise or really any of the other people who've been thrown up as possibilities. This is a really dangerous time here uh, for them because they're thinking about their own lives uh, politically. Um, Seven came in for Steve Scalise. Uh, of course, he was the guy who got more votes than Jordan in that initial vote. Jordan then supported him. He didn't get it. He wasn't going to get to 217, so they didn't actually vote for him. Tom Emmer gets one vote. Tom Cole gets one vote. People just kind of throwing names out there. Thomas Massey got Victoria Sparks's vote, as I mentioned, and Mike Garcia got a vote as well. So that's where that is right now. By the way, the, the math thing is boring to go through, uh, but there's uh, 433 currently uh, seated congressmen, half of that, 216.5. But um, uh, th there was one um, Republican who was away for a funeral. He is a Jordan supporter. He will be back in the fold probably for the next votes. We don't know when these things are going to come down, but my, he will be back in uh, the fold for tonight. So Jordan will pick up one vote at least there. He can only lose four. If this guy, uh, uh, Bilirakis, comes back, he's, he was in Florida. If he comes back in, he'll have four to lose. I mean, I'm looking at this list. It's going to be damn hard to get this number down to four. Right now it's at 20. To get this down to four is going to be really, really difficult because there's at least three or four that are just like, no. And this is where this dynamic really gets difficult for the Republicans. Let me just play this out for you. McCarthy comes in. He does his stuff. He gets tossed by Gates. Well, you might cheer that on. You might be thinking it's too much of a risk. Whatever you think about that, take yourself out of this for a second and picture yourself as a super close McCarthy ally, someone who thinks he's doing a great job as Speaker of the House, someone who maybe uh, he, who McCarthy has helped over and over again, your best friend in Congress, whoever this is. You're pissed off about this, right? If you're in that position, you're thinking to yourself, you just screwed my guy over. Here's a guy who's doing a really good job. And you're just tossing him. Some of those people, this might not be you, but some of those people are saying to themselves, I will not give Matt Gates and those eight people what they want here. They screwed all of this up. No matter who they want, I want somebody else. Now, Gates has come out and said Jordan would be great. Well, what does that mean? Some of those people are just going to say, screw you. I'm sticking with my guy, McCarthy. Scalise is another example of this, right? Scalise comes out, he runs, he gets more votes than Jordan in the conference. They escalate this uh, to a vote. It doesn't look like you're going to get 217 votes. Scalise drops out. Well, some of those people who were super tight with Scalise, which are not the same people that were super tight with McCarthy, those people who were super tight with Scalise, now they're pissed at the rest of the conference and don't want to give them what they want. You want Jordan? Well, Jordan got less votes than my guy. So screw you. I'm not voting for any of your guys. I'm not voting for Jordan. I'm going to vote for Scalise. There's 13 people who made those types of decisions uh, today. They voted for McCarthy or Scalise. You then have uh, a bunch of other people who voted kind of randomly for others. Those people might be more gettable, I would argue. But here's the situation that develops now. Let's say Jordan goes through this. And he can't get to 217 votes. He can't get to become speaker. Well, a lot of people are highly now invested in Jim Jordan. 
And those people who are super close to Jordan and think Jordan would be a great speaker of the house who think, I can't believe these bastards over there, these McCarthy and these Scalise people, they screwed this whole thing up. Jordan could have made it over the line if not for those people. And you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to give those people anything that they want because they screw this up too. So now you have three factions of people who are sitting there saying, I'm not going to give the other factions the side that they want. And now you're at a place where you can't possibly get over 217 votes for anyone on the Republican side. And what happens after that? We've seen already several times Democrats have reached out, sometimes in ridiculous ways. Somebody suggested today, well, what if we make George W. Bush the Speaker of the House? That's not going to happen, I don't think. Um, but Democrats, some Democrats are saying that. Some Democrats are saying, hey, well, what about Hakeem Jeffries? We'll put, all we need is four of your votes uh, here, or five of your votes. Just come on over with us. We'll vote, vote for Hakeem Jeffries. And you know what we'll do? All five of you, we'll make you superstars. We'll give you all the money you need. We'll give you all the appointments you want. We'll let you uh, have all sorts of power sharing agreements. Is that possible? It's really unlikely, probably, at that point with Hakeem Jeffries. But where you find a person who's more in the middle, a unifying candidate, you wind up seeing uh, differences that could really wind up burning the Republican Party. I'll say this at the end, too, because uh, we can go on and on and on about this and all the possibilities. But one of the things that's been thrown out already by Democrats is, hey, how about this? The guy who's just kind of the temporary guy now, throw him in there. We'll share some power. We'll give you the votes you need to get him over the top. He'll get 150 votes from Republicans. We'll give you the whatever 75 you need from the Democrats. Put those all together. We'll put this guy on. But we just need some concessions. We just need some things. We got to make sure you don't do this. We got to make sure Ukraine's fully funded. We got to make sure this is going on. Hey, make sure you're not cutting spending on, on education. Hey, make sure this doesn't get passed. All of these things go on. Hey, make sure uh, that investigation doesn't go down this road to buy power. What are Republicans going to do? They're going to give up whatever they have to do. Uh, to get this job. A lot of people want this job, despite it being seemingly the worst job in the world. So I don't know. I mean, we if this is the thing with Jordan, if Jordan goes down this road and has another vote and loses votes, other people may change their mind. He may fail, f uh, fade away. And if Jordan goes, there's just not another clear option that's good. This is kind of our one chance to improve the situation we had before. And I don't think that there's a wonderful possibility around the corner. I don't think there's going to be some grandiose. I don't think Trump's doing it. I don't think George W. Bush is doing it. I think we're in a real danger where this could wind up being this consensus candidate that Democrats get a big stake in. And that consensus candidate will have to honestly look at their political lives and say, you know, the Democrats are partially responsible for the best thing that's ever happened in my career. And unless you think every one of these guys in Washington has a real spine and can hold the line when pressured by dozens and dozens of Democrats who basically gave him his job. Well, if you're that way, you're a lot more optimistic than I am about the situation. And then you get to a point where we already don't have the Senate. We already don't have the presidency. A couple friendly votes in a in a house run by some moderate Republican or a moderate Democrat even could wind up getting a lot of stuff passed common sense measures that are going to make you want to puke. This is right around the corner. So if you have any influence, uh, if you have a voice, if you feel like making phone calls, you want to do all those things, now's a great time to do it because this Jordan thing might be our last best hope.
you might be thinking, I want to move to Texas. Texas seems awesome. And I will assure you, it is. That is very true. And the best wholesale land value in the state of Texas right now is coming up this weekend. This is never before offered prime Texas acreage Saturday, October 21st. That's this Saturday, the new section grand opening of prime Texas properties at wholesale prices. You can get a brand new lake access barn dominium. A barn dominium. That's right, ready for your finishes on six plus acres for only $119,900. Or three 10 acre Lakeview estates priced to sell in one day from only $49,900. There's limited availability. Don't miss out. Saturday, October 21st, you can get two acres of direct dockable lakefront on a trophy bass lake for only $59,900. You might think, oh, this has got to be in the middle of nowhere. Can I even get to it? Do I need a helicopter to land where this place is? No. It's actually minutes to a town. It's got shopping. It's got dining. It's got properties. They're serviced by uh, gated entrance, paved roads, utilities, high-speed internet. It's all there. You can work from home if you want. Multi-million dollar clubhouse they got an equestrian center resort style pool exclusively for owners it's 765 lake now 765 lake now new section is opening on sec uh, saturday october 21st that's this saturday buy directly from the developer and save thousands on october 21st these properties are wholesale price to sell in just one day so call them 765 lake now 765-525-3669 or online at txlanddeal.com txlanddeal.com I'm joined now by Liz Wheeler. She's the host of The Liz Wheeler Show on the first and author of the new book, Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxists Behind the Attack of America, on America's Kids, which is available now wherever you get your books. Liz, I'm already trying to put my kids in the biggest bubble possible. I, I can't hide them any more than I already am, I promise. Well, then you're doing a good job just by making the effort then by recognizing that children are under assault by never uh, as it's never happened before. I mean, I think a lot of parents actually were caught off guard by it during COVID. You know, we would just look over our kids' shoulders at Zoom school and you'd see all this stuff, this critical race theory, this trans ideology, the 1619 Project, kind of anti-American stuff being poured into the minds of kids. So this book for me just started as a question I had as a parent. Why is this escalating right now? What's behind this? Who's behind this? And what's their goal? Yeah, and I'd like to believe we're in this sort of place where it's just deep incompetence or something, right? There's just a bunch of people who don't know what they're talking about. They're kind of stupid. They're, maybe it's social media getting into their heads and they don't know what they're doing. But your book really outlines that this is a long-term plan. This is something that has been in the works for a very long time. Can you kind of describe the background of this and how we got to this moment? It is. And I think a lot of people feel that same way. I actually also wish that it was just incompetent, stupid people that we were up against in politics, that the left didn't hold actual poisonous ideologies, that they're just they're just dumb people. That's what I wish. That's not what I found out, though. So as I as I sought to answer the question, who's behind this and what is their goal? What I found is that this is a decades long effort. It's not a new attack on our children. It's the, the efforts to seed this kind of ideology in our institutions, the institutions that we trust our children to. So the education system is the primary one, but also the media and some religious institutions, sadly, the law and then there are some outright assaults on parental rights, marriage, the nuclear family, et cetera, et cetera. The seeds for this have been planted for decades. And this, this shocked me in a sense because you think, okay, well, if you're caught off guard by an attack from the other side, you would hope that this attack would be new. 
But if it's been decades in the making, you have to wonder, well, what was the Republican Party doing? What were conservatives doing? How come we didn't notice this? How can we let all of these institutions become captured and controlled by people whose ideology is what I found through my research are Marxists, self-avowed Marxists, people who want to overthrow capitalism, end a free market economy, topple Western civilization, and certainly topple the American government. Um, so the first half of the book, what I do for parents and concerned citizens alike, you don't have to be a parent, is I name the names of the people in the organizations that are behind the capture of each of these institutions and behind the attack on America's kids. And then the second half of the book, once I've thoroughly depressed everyone and convinced them that it's not just dumb Democrats that we're up against, I offer a solution that, Sue, I will tell you is different than the solution the Republican Party offers for how we can actually start winning, how we can take back these institutions, and how we can protect our kids. I want to get into the solutions here in just a minute, but let's at least for a couple of minutes talk about the problems. Uh, you go into, and parents look at their, their kids, and they everyone wants their kids to be loved. They want their kids to have a good childhood. They, they want to have the type of childhood that every parent wants for their kids. Um, but there are all these things in schools that might even sound okay, like social-emotional learning you might hear that term and think, oh, that kind of sounds like a, a, a good thing, right? Like you're, you're, you're caring for their emotions. You're not just being a jerk to my kids. Great. Well, talk about social emotional learning and, and how, how bad it actually is. Yeah, social emotional learning, the phrase didn't even raise red flags for me the first probably hundred times I heard it because it sounds so innocuous. Social emotional learning, okay, who cares? It's a module in school. But what it is, is it's actually the, the origin of social emotional learning was uh, coined by a Brazilian Marxist named Paulo Freire, who didn't think, who thought teachers shouldn't teach children facts and knowledge. He said, Teachers should instead teach children how to view the world or a worldview. And he called this worldview critical consciousness. He wanted to awaken the critical consciousness of children. And what critical consciousness is, is teaching children to view the world through a Marxist lens. So to label every person in every demographic as either the oppressed or the oppressor. And that's what social emotional learning is. Social emotional learning is critical consciousness just renamed. They use social emotional learning as a euphemism so that it's not quite as easy for us to trace it back to what it actually actually is, but they disguise it as a values education. So it's not an academic discipline like math or science or reading. It's, it's values education that they embed within all of these different classes. In fact, I talked to a high school math teacher maybe three or four months back who told me how much more difficult it is for her to teach calculus. I mean, upper level mathematics in high school because she has to weave social emotional learning into her mathematics class and what it is, is it is teaching children to look at the world through this same Marxist lens to label everyone as either the oppressor or the oppressed. And the result, of course, is children are, are it's not just in college that they're being brainwashed. They are leaving K through 12, looking at the world the way that the radical left wants them to. Mm, yeah. And I, I really think, you know, you, you're, I know we're going to get into what the Republicans have done wrong over this time. But one of the things I think we've done wrong is focus too much on colleges. You know, I mean, kids get go through K through 12 yeah. with, you know, they're just seemingly at the will of the government, whatever they're going to teach them. All this crazy stuff comes down. And then we sit, they go to college and we're like, oh, gosh, these colleges are crazy. At least they have a chance to have a foundation and fight back against something when they're a fully grown adult and at least are learning in college, you, you abandon them K through 12 and we're gonna have even bigger problems. Yeah, I have a very based position on this. It sounds like you might share this opinion, but I, I was saying to my team the other day, listen, what's the point of the public school system? 
right? I know it's a pretty radical idea to get rid of the public school system, but what purpose does it serve right now? It's academically failing children. There are like 30 schools in the state of Illinois where zero of the students know how to read at grade level. Zero in 30 different schools. (laughs) Socially, children are becoming stunted because they have no interaction with anyone except their immediate peers. It's dangerous because there can be boys and girls locker rooms, there's school shootings, and ideologically, they're brainwashed. So what exactly is the purpose? What are we doing when we send our children to public school? How is it benefiting individual children, but also society. And if we're, if we're at the point that I think we are, where it's not giving us any benefit and is instead inflicting harm, I would argue that we try to readjust the system in a radical way. Yeah, it's amazing. You get people accusing you like, I can't believe this. You're just against public schools. And it's like, well, yeah. Was I not clear about that? I, mean, yes, if I, I wasn't am. clear about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay, let's go to. They've attacked the education with our kids. Let's go to the family. Um, you talk about uh, the feminine mystique, a book by Betty Friedman. Frieden. Uh, who you go through this, and it's like this is just a. They have a specific target in each element of what used to be celebrated as the ultimate, right? The nuclear family. This is something that we all want, but they're attacking it from so many different angles. Yeah, so the argument that I make in my book is that of the nuclear family, there are five elements that make up the family, man, woman, marriage, sex, and children. And each of these elements has been under sustained assault in our country. So the example that you give of Betty Frieden and the feminine mystique, most people have heard of Betty Frieden and the feminine mystique. She prob- she, she essentially brought in modern feminism, told women that they should not be happy as a housewife, that they should not be happy as a wife and a mother, but they should find their fulfillment in the workforce. She essentially turned women against their husbands and did enormous damage. We're still feeling the repercussions of this damage to the new nuclear family. Men are under a sustained assault. I mean, just look at the Me Too movement. Look at intersectionality, all this blame. White, Christian, heterosexual men are the problem. They are the oppressors. I mean, this is we're getting to the point where culturally there's certainly no due process given to men, white men, straight white Christian men. Um, legally, we're right on the cusp of white men losing that kind of due process. Marriage has been under assault since, you know, no-fault divorce, since the sexual revolution tried to tell people that true fulfillment and true liberation is through promiscuous sex, that also, you know, birth control, the advent of birth control pill, really accelerated um, the sexual revolution's damaging message. And now, I argue in my book that there's really only one element of the nuclear family that's left standing, that hasn't been severely damaged, and that's children which probably explains why the left is going after our children, not only because they understand that as communists and Marxists, you can't just walk down the street of your average American town and say, hey, I'm running on communism, vote for me. Most voters, thankfully, with the exception of maybe some Bernie bros or AOC constituents, would reject that, but they they can change the ideological fabric of our nation if they change the formation of the minds of our children. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a kill two birds with one stone. They really want to destroy the nuclear family, Children are the last element standing, and they know if they capture the minds of kids, then the next generation of American voters will vote for radical leftist ideology. Yeah, I mean, you do a great job outlining uh, all these attacks, where they came from, how they're manifesting themselves on a day-to-day basis. You also, in the second half of the book, they'll go into how we kind of screwed all this up. And I think you hit on a central point of the debate among conservatives right now. And I I think it's an interesting debate, really. It's like because I, you know, I kind of I don't want the government involved in things. I want them out of my life as much as possible. However, there are things that are going so crazy that 
you can't just sit by and watch and say, well, you know, like we're just going to be neutral on this stuff. How do you walk the line with a limited government, but also still being able to have some path to a future that helps humans flourish? Yeah, and th this is this is my this was my biggest frustration actually writing the book is it's easy to say okay we expect destructive and stupid policies from the left that's kind of what they built their platform on but what about Republicans where were Republicans how did we not fight back on any of these fronts on the cultural war why are we losing and I feel like we don't have very good self-reflective analysis on the right to say okay we certainly are losing otherwise we wouldn't be living in this cultural chaos that we're living in right now where boys are told they can be girls and white children are told they're inherently racist based on the color of their skin not their character we wouldn't be living in this chaos if Republicans had been winning. So what went wrong? And essentially what went wrong is the Republican Party, when we're sitting here thinking, okay, we live in a free country, our freedom's under assault. The Republican Party gives the wrong definition of, definition of what a free country is. They actually misdefine what liberty is. And I'll, I'll give you an example here. So if, if you were to say, okay, liberty, what's the, what's the purpose of liberty? Or how does, how does government help enact liberty? The Republican Party would tell you that liberty is an end to itself, that the purpose of government is to secure the maximum amount of individual freedom for every American citizen. And you might think, okay, that sounds good. I used to actually articulate that definition of freedom myself until I learned that it didn't work. And the reason that it doesn't work is because as David French once said, if um, if liberty is an end to itself, then drag queen story hour would have to be a blessing of liberty because those grown men gyrating in front of children have the freedom to do that. And if freedom is the end goal of freedom, then there'd have to be some morality in them having the freedom to do it. Yet I reject that premise. I know that drag queen story hour isn't moral. It's, it's grotesque. It's evil. So that definition of liberty must not be the correct definition of liberty which it's not. According to the framers of our constitution, the definition of liberty is the means to something greater. The ultimate goal of liberty is not the maximum amount of individual freedom. It is to allow us to live virtuous lives. And this, while it might seem really philosophical, while it might seem really heady, this difference in the definition of liberty is crucial in fighting back against the cultural left. Because what happens when you embrace the former definition, this sort of libertarian definition, is you fall for this false idea of neutrality that, oh, you know what? It's not our role to insert our morals and our principles and our values into, say, the public school system. That's wrong. We should just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, no values. And so what Republicans did is they pulled back all of these principles and morals out of their governance and out of our civil institutions, in addition to the government institutions. And of course, it didn't beget this neutrality that they envisioned. What happened instead was the left swooped in and started codifying their quote unquote values, which are ideologies, and force them on our children and force them on society. So one of the things that I challenge conservatives to do in this book is recognize that there's no such thing as neutrality in any space in government, that either Republican values, which are American values and Judeo-Christian principles, will prevail, or leftist ideologies will prevail. And if we do not play offense with these values and these principles, the left certainly is going to, and we're going to continue to lose. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's such an important debate. It's such an important line to try to find, to walk in a, in a really careful way. But we can't just sit here and let be rolled over. That's not the answer. Uh, Liz Wheeler, of course, is the uh, is the the book is of course called "Hide Your Children: Exposing the Marxists Behind the Attack on America's Kids." It is available now. Make sure to grab a copy, uh, or maybe two, wherever you get your books. Liz, thanks so much for coming on the program. Appreciate it.
Thanks, Stu. I appreciate it. Let me tell you about Grip6. They make totally customizable belts that you're going to love. They've got wallets that you're going to love. They've got socks that you're going to love. And you can do all sorts of things. Like with the belts, you can get laser etched designs. You can get logos and flags or whatever you want on the buckle. They're customizable. You can get them in the carbon fiber so you don't have to take it off at the airport. That's always very nice. Uh, they're minimalist. They don't stick out from your shirt. You're going to like these things. And you're going to like the company Grip6 too because these are people who care about America. Uh, they are a small company in Utah, but they, you know, not only sell over the, uh, around the United States, all over the world. People are importing their products into other parts of the world. Why? Well, they're high quality. They're made with American products, American people right here in America. And we all talk about these companies that hate our guts. There are companies like Grip6 out there, too, doing the opposite, working hard to make sure America can succeed and still giving you the products that you want and the quality that you want. Go to Grip6.com slash stew. Use the code stew. You'll save 15%. Grip, the number 6.com slash stew to get 15% off today. It's Grip6. Look, there's been chaos in the Republican Party. We've talked about that today. We have stuff on Israel coming up here in just a minute. And we just talked about all the threats coming from every direction at your family and everything else. It's also overwhelming. What do you do to push back? Well, you got to push back on the education side. You got to push back voting. You need to do all of these things. It gets overwhelming at times, but you also need a media source with information you can trust. And that's why Blaze TV exists. Uh, Glenn, of course, you know, was there when we all started this together as a you know, we left Fox. You know, that was it wasn't cool to leave Fox at that point. And we left Fox because we thought there needed to be an independent voice to be able to cover stuff just like this. I mean, the Blaze was built for this very moment. Go to blazetv.com slash do. I, I encourage you to subscribe. If you can't, you know, watch on YouTube. You don't have cash right now. Totally cool. Uh, if you're on YouTube, uh, if you're on podcast, we love you and we're thankful that you're there. But if you have a couple extra bucks a month to throw at Blaze TV, man, I think it makes a big difference. It's blazetv.com slash do. blazetv.com slash do. Promo code is stew. We'll save you 10 bucks. Back in a second. What would it be like if all of a sudden the global medication supply chain of antibiotics just disappeared right before our eyes? And it's, it's, it's kind of like what happened with the PlayStation 5. Remember when you couldn't get one of those things? They were supposed to get PlayStation 5, and they, they, you couldn't buy one almost anywhere. And uh, then eventually uh, they opened up, and now I guess you can buy them. But the thing is, uh, antibiotics it doesn't really go like that. If you've got an illness, you need to get it cured like now, not wait six months for the supply chains to open up. And the best way to fight back against that is to be prepared for it. The Jace case from Jace Medical is a great way to keep yourself prepared for the worst. It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics you can use to treat a long dis a list of bacterial illnesses, you know, stuff like respiratory Ill uh, infections or sinusitis or skin infections or whatever. Uh, There's a whole list of stuff that it helps with. And it's a great way to be ready for shortages and perfect for traveling as well. Don't get caught unprepared. Go to jacemedical.com and enter the code STU at checkout for a discount. There's like over 300 medications that are in shortage right now in the United States. Don't get caught unprepared. The promo code is STU at jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E, medical.com. It's the Jace case from Jace Medical. 
Joe Biden is set to visit Israel tomorrow. And I mean, you might say, OK, well, that's not that shocking, right? He's uh, president of the United States. This is one of our closest allies. They're in a big uh, situation right now. Um, it's not that big of a, a deal. Um, of course, uh, I don't think he's really going there to be supportive necessarily. We'll get into that in a second. But CNN was just blown away by this idea. They couldn't believe he was going to Israel. It was the most amazing thing they'd ever heard in their entire lives. This is the headline. Biden to make extraordinary wartime Israel visit as Gaza crisis grows. I mean, is he taking like Wonder Woman's invisible jet? What makes it so extraordinary? I mean, he's isn't that crazy? He went to Ukraine, too, right? Um, we'll get into the differences, though. There are differences, and they're concerning to me. Now, Biden hasn't been a complete disaster on Israel. Um, he's been much worse in every other aspect of his presidency. He has said some good things. He has been, though, very inconsistent, uh, talking about, you know, how this was slaughter and all these things. They have to be able to defend themselves. But also, they shouldn't occupy, and they shouldn't do this, and they shouldn't do that. And that, of course, is the point here, right? What's the point of him visiting he doesn't need to visit to tell them, yeah, go ahead and, and go get the Hamas. He's going to try to talk them out of it at some level. He's going to try to have them uh, give them some restraint. You know, we need to have a proportionate response. Uh, you need to. Yes, sure. Your people were raped and murdered and beheaded. But we need a proportionate response, which I think would also be just raping and murdering and beheading Gazans, which doesn't sound like all that wonderful. I don't think the Israelis are really into that type of thing, but. Um, I don't think the proportionate response thing has anything to do with this. Of course, this is a military action. And look, there's going to be a lot of casualties. It's not good. But, you know, you, Hamas cannot exist there. And if you elect Hamas and you put them in power, uh, bad things happen. You, this is something that is a lesson that everyone needs to learn at some point. Um, and I don't understand if it, I mean, why isn't he doing proportionate visits? How come he's not visiting Gaza as well? I don't understand. These people are so wonderful. They're such peace-loving people. Why not go and uh, hang out with them for a while and see how that goes? Probably not a good idea. Um, this is the problem, though. Of course, he's just saying, don't, don't occupy. Don't do this. Don't do that. Israel needs to do what they believe is right for their country right now. That doesn't mean slaughtering lots of innocent people. It doesn't mean revenge kills. It doesn't mean... We had the bombing of the hospital today. Of course, Israel saying it wasn't them. Certainly more consistent with the actions of Hamas. But you can't be doing that stuff if you're Israel. You can't be targeting those places. Obviously, I don't think they were targeting a hospital. But the, the, there are some limits to this, of course. But really, we don't need, I don't think Israel needs us talking down to them right now. Uh, Biden faces risks in his wartime visit to Israel. And it says the New York Times, and this is the part that's most concerning to me. I think there's some positive elements of Biden doing this. He's showing support to a close ally at some level. They did invite him to come. They want him to come. But this is a little bit unlike the Ukraine situation. You know, you want to go to Ukraine and you go to Kiev. A guy like Vladimir Putin, for all of his craziness, is going to make sure rockets aren't landing in Kiev that day because he doesn't want to kill the president and start a nuclear war. Hamas doesn't care about that stuff. The whole point of this operation is to sow a nuclear war and bring on Allah and the 12th Imam or whatever else is going down the road here. They want the chaos. If they can fire rockets at where they believe Joe Biden is, they're going to do it. And that opens us up to a far more dangerous conflict overall. You know, a little moral support. Do it on Zoom. I think that might be a little bit of a better way to show whatever support he's trying to show or to criticize them in whatever way he's going to criticize them. We've got the Internet. Use it.
Say it with me. Anyone but Biden in 24. Yeah, you can get the shirt, the mug, the cup. Uh, they got all sorts of great stuff there. A bumper sticker, I would think, as well is up. Uh, Studos America is, of course, the program. Uh, go to studosmerch.com. Use the code Stu10. You'll save 10%. Anyone but Biden, 24.